So this bolt of lightning shot across the universe and inspired me with the idea that we have to do a podcast. And that's what I wanted to tell you. We should do a podcast. Okay, bye. Welcome to Future Creep, colon. Built-in microwave, semicolon. Uh, oh, myopic design. Myopic design. Design myopia. Design myopia. 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 I think it's myopia. 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 <laughs> Camera. Does that sound weird when Camera. I say? Camera. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Um all right. So, yeah. So, unlike normal, uh we're going to be very focused and mm-hmm. myopic about what we're discussing today. Right. Um mm-hmm. lean in mm-hmm. real close. Lean in real real close. So, uh I think where do we start with it? So, I think last week we spoke about, well, about an hour ago. Yeah. Uh but last week you probably if you listen to many of our podcasts, you might have listened to last week's when we discussed uh, two great books. And one of them had to do with the concept of uh, Chindogu. Yes. Uh, which is the practice of invention of ingenious everyday gadgets that seem to be ideal solutions to particular problems, but which may cause more problems than they solve. Yes. Um, oh, so great. Yeah. The term is of Japanese origin. And that was in reference to um, uh, we discovered this based on the book uh which was called the giant bento box the big bento box of unuseless japanese inventions yes unuseless japanese inventions um so i think it's it bears talking about the 10 tenets of chindogu uh because i think that's relevant to what we're about to discuss yeah um so the 10 tenets are cannot be for real use must exist, must have a spirit of anarchy, is a tool for everyday life, is not a tradable commodity, must have resulted only from an exercise of humor, is not propaganda, is not taboo, cannot be patented, and is without prejudice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that we're going to talk about at least one product um, that we feel exemplifies this concept of myopic design. Um, yeah. And I feel like it, we're going to come back to the, the tenets of uh Chindogu because it, it, this product, the only difference I think between this product and something that meets the tenets of Chindogu is that it uh, is for sale or it was. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and was for real use basically. So, yeah. um, so, uh, are we are we, do we get to talk about myopic design and like give a little explanation of what that is? Yes. Yeah. Um, we found some interesting, not a lot, but a couple of interesting things on the internet about myopic design. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Architectural myopia, myopia, is a particular type of myopic design, and 
you can see it when you look at a piece of architecture and something just doesn't seem right or it seems out of place Mm -hmm. or something about it is off building Mm -hmm. maybe looks really cool but interacting with it and using it is absolutely fucking terrible Mm-hmm. So, um, designer myopia is the phenomenon whereby, despite whoever the designer's best intentions are, um, you can end up with a design that results in stuff that doesn't work and doesn't actually meet goals. And you're left wondering what was what was the design what was the goal of this design in the first place? Because if it was to like serve people, it doesn't work. Or if it was, you know. There's all kinds of things where it doesn't work out. It's, it's design that was designed for a purpose other than the purpose it ends up serving, I think, in some cases. Yeah. So um, in the in the concept of the sort of architectural myopia or basically that it, it, it talks about some studies that have been done, um, psychology studies that have been done on the concept of sort of designing for industry as opposed to people um, where there's some uh, environmental psychologists who suggest that um, architects see the world differently from non-architects. And that is to say that um, they they seem to synthesize an understanding of the world in a slightly different way based on maybe on their training. They don't really go into detail in this particular article I'm looking at, but I'm looking at an article called Architectural Myopia Um Mm-hmm. Colon designing for industry, comma not people. Already right. love the title. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this is a this was on shareable.net and it was written uh, October fifth, two thousand eleven, uh, by Nikos and Michael. I guess that's that's what I get from it. It doesn't seem to have full Nikos names. and Michael. Um, but um, they cite some interesting studies. And, uh, for instance, a study Gifford et al. 2002 surveyed other research and noted that architects did not merely disagree with laypersons about the aesthetic qualities of buildings. They were unable to predict how laypersons would assess buildings, even when they were explicitly asked to do so. Uh, So this idea is that um, through the process of either becoming an architect or perhaps you have some proclivity to think this way already, um, you are creating there's a there's a phenomenon phenomenon of architectural myopia myopia um that happens where architects are designing buildings or designing structures in a way that appeals to and and looks amazing on paper Mm -hmm. in um visually it's very appealing and the reason for that is because that's how they sell their work, right? Like, yeah. that's what they're rewarded for is for things that are striking and and material, like very in in like very novel mm-hmm. in their use of material and design, um, and all of that's it's like architecture geekery. Yeah, and all of that's fine, but none of that considers the idea that people have to live and work in those spaces. Yep. And just because it looks cool from the outside or, you know, standing in a particular corner gives you a really like striking visual like experience that might not not actually be that good for what you're trying to do with the space, like work in it or live in it. I think about this a lot when I watch like um, any time of any type of television show that's uh, that features 
the interior spaces of spaceships a lot. Yes. Like, uh, like everything is smooth and beige and geometric with uh-huh. rounded corners and looks vaguely like a hospital waiting room. Uh-huh. And it's like on a, on a long voyage in space, that type of environment would make everyone completely suicidal. Yeah, right. Right. Just zero personal expression whatsoever. Uh-huh. Nothing that looks familiar uh-huh. whatsoever to home or um, anything uplifting like trees or sunshine. Anything natural. Anything natural. Mm-hmm. It just looks like one big Corian countertop. Uh-huh. And it's so boring. All of the colors are super drab. And it's like, well, it has to be because it has to film well. Right. But or also you have to be able to render it easily in CGI. Right. But like, my God. Yeah. Please don't make us all live in something the size of a jail cell that's like beige and navy blue and Uh geometric. Uh Oh, my God, I'm going to die. What is scarier than the empty vacuum of space is the tiny little cubby holes they stuff you in on like While television versions the... of spaceships. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh. Um Yeah. So uh this is kind of the this idea I think carries well into um other aspects of design. Uh I think if you've been a long time listener of our podcast, you might be familiar with, uh, I think we did an episode called consider the context, which actually yes. got quite a few listens. So I would suspect if you're listening to this one, you probably already listened to that one. Um, maybe I, considering the context. <laughs> yeah, maybe, uh, who knows? Um, who knows? anyway, might, might be relevant, but you don't need to listen to the whole podcast to get the gist of it, which is that, uh, context is really important to, what you're designing like thinking about the context of something is sort of the cure for uh myopic design and so if you clicked on this and you listened this far that's probably that's the answer we're going to give you if you're concerned about myopic design is consider the context um what we're going to talk about now and forever after into the end of this podcast is uh is some pretty hilarious shit um or i think so yeah it is very funny yeah it's um it's just really it's it's just kind of like hard not to look at like it's just really amazing that this thing exists so we were um kind of doing research for this article or for this pot this episode and we were thinking about what we would what would be some good examples um of what what myopic design looks like um and so we discovered something that is pretty interesting. And I think before we reveal that, um, we're going to just be assholes and talk about one other thing, which was um, one of the questions that uh, was asked about in terms of myopic architecture or architectural design and myopathy was um, there's some speculation about how they got there. And mm. one of the suggestions was that as in architecture school or the students of architecture are often put into a competitive situation where they are forced to, or their way of expressing themselves or like advancing through the class and through studies and making themselves differentiate is to create outlandish and striking pieces, right? Like it doesn't to design like, an even better square home with four bedrooms and two bathrooms and a mm-hmm. garage that is 
you know, mostly like the ones that already exist and work fairly well. Right. But, you know, a subtle change of like, hey, maybe if we put these two rooms like a little bit more this way or like, you know, something like that's not going to, no one's going to notice. Right. So they're like, what if we build this whole house out of stainless steel? Right. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, wow, this and is put terrible these to live in. Curves, these French curves all across mm-hmm. the main walkway so that you can never walk in a straight line anywhere. Right. Yeah, follow this interesting path through the yard. Visually stimulating, pain in the ass to actually traverse on foot. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so pro- I'm reading on this shareable article, projects that are especially distinctive, object designs that stand out visually in an imaginative way by presenting an unusual structure tend mm-hmm. to get more attention from the faculty and often better grades. Those architects get rewarded and selected out to be the later stars of the profession. Right, right. And I think that's why a lot of, like, I think about some of the, like, more outlandish architecture that is sort of iconic, like Falling Waters. I actually went and saw that house. Mm-hmm. Um, really interesting house. It's really beautiful to look at. And it's very interesting. And, like, it's a curiosity to walk through and, like, get to see all the rooms and things. But yeah, just a nightmare to live in. Like there's maintenance issues because of how integrated the water features are to everything. There's the issue of like every room is sort of awkwardly shaped in a way that it's like, you know, if you want to refurnish, like you've got to find real particular pieces of furniture that are going to fit in these places. Every room is not really mutable. It's sort of like purpose built. And now it's Mm. like, well, that's what that room's going to be for forever forever on because there's really no other way to use it. Yeah. Um, you know, there's one wall you can put a seating element against and nothing else, you know, or, or whatever it is. So it's kind of, yeah. um, it, it loses its ability to be a platform to build off of, right? It's a completely finished and conceptualized idea. Right. Yeah. There's a mosquito flying around in the studio right now and we're both kind of dodging, weaving and trying to capture it. Son of a bitch. Uh, so if you hear somebody shout and slap somebody else in the face, you know why. <laughs> I'm going to get that thing. It flew right past me. Yeah. And of course I have headphones on so I can't hear it approaching. Right. So it's just a visual it's totally tracking at the get moment. Me. Yeah. Um, so, uh, okay. So on to the star of the show, yes. I think. Um, so as an example of something that is we believe i believe is uh <laughs> is a very like myopic design um or design it's it, it's, it just has so much myopia, it's mo- myopia so so many bad decisions made on faulty grounding yeah. so a company named juicero was an american company that designed and manufactured the juicero press and that uh, the Juicero Press was basically it. It's not a juicer. It's not well, a juicer. Kinda. It's not because it. Well, I don't know. I will let we'll see. Like I felt that way, but then the more we read about it, I'm I'm like, oh, barely. It's barely a juicer. Okay. Um. If okay, so essentially, what this product is is it's a it's like a it's a press that you put pre pre-filled bags full of fruit matter fruit and vegetable matter into and then it presses the fruit and vegetable matter out of the bag and into a glass. Yep. These bags look like IV bags for what it's worth. They yes. look like uh, an IV bag yeah. full of like chopped up yeah 
vegetables and fruit, which you can't see into because the bags are opaque with lots and lots and lots of yeah, branding. They're like all foil, plastic foil bags. Yeah, they're like like any other kind of, you know, like every type of food product now comes in some kind of like Ziploc pouch type mm-hmm. bag. Right. And it they look similar to that. It looks like a somewhat sturdy plastic. You know, it's not as thin as like a Ziploc bag. It's, right. it's thicker than that. Right. You can't see in it or out of it. Yeah. It's got a cryptic QR code on the outside that you need to scan in order for it to work in the machine. Yes. So you can't just put anything in this machine. No. You can only put in what they proprietary yeah. single serving packets of pre-juiced fruits and vegetables mm-hmm. sold exclusively by the company yes. by subscription. Yeah. For five to seven dollars a pack. And this horrible, yeah, right. So a pack of this juice uh-huh. is like 70 or 80 calories in total, yeah. most of which is sugar at that point because uh-huh. it crushes any of the actual structural nutrients out of the juice and retains it inside the juice bag. Right. It's just squeezes. Wh- it's just like yeah, what comes out is sugar it. water. Yeah. Right. And so it's like 70 to 80 calories of sugar. Uh huh. From a fruit yep. of some kind, mm-hmm. and it's five to seven dollars for seventy to eighty calories. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is insanely expensive. Insanely expensive. That is incredible. Just for the record, like the difficulty with fast food in this country is oftentimes that it's some of the cheapest calories that you can consume. So, yes. in other words, if you're hungry and you need fifteen hundred calories you can go to mcdonald's you can buy that for four dollars right um whereas this thing will feed you half of a glass of juice with 70 calories for seven dollars yeah i mean that's like this is some of the grossest most classist nonsense i've ever heard yeah and so this product the thing you need to understand is that this product was advertised as Wi-Fi enabled, Wi-Fi connected. Um, and this is now I'm taking from the Wikipedia article on Juicero from uh, today's September 30th, 2021. Um, right. 21. We're still in 21. We are still in 21. Yeah. So um, this, this product basically use these proprietary single serving packets of pre-juiced fruits and vegetables. Um, as you said, were exclusively sold by subscription. Right. Um, and this, the, I don't even know where to begin. So I think, <laughs> I think the, one of the things to kind of point out is that um, the company, so at this point, you might be thinking, and hopefully if you're like me, you also despise these products, which is the uh, Keurig K-Cup coffee psychotic right. environment destroying you yes, know, hate them. consumerism machine. Hate them. Um, so, so somewhere there's a quote, and I don't have it in front of me, but um, I'm pretty sure this will stand, which is that they, the company, so Juicero one of the things they were focusing on was trying to learn from the mistakes of the K com- the curry company. Right. And so they barcoded or basically used QR codes and, um, to, 
to make sure that their machines would only interact with products that they sold. So and they so, wouldn't lose any of their so-called profits to uh, another company that was making an aftermarket version of the same product. Exactly. So when you're a consumer who uh, somehow managed to th- rationalize spending $699 on an oversized <laughs> Wi-Fi enabled um, plastic box, yeah. piece of junk. I mean, it, it has it like, one button on the outside, yeah, which w- indicates to the machine that it's time to squeeze. And when it was interesting, because when we watched this video, they yeah. open the front hatch door of the machine. Yes. And what's inside, you expect to see like some complicated innards. No, it's like uh, just another surface. Yeah. It's and just s- two plates that smash two together. Two plates that smash together and press on a bag that releases juice from itself yes. through a fucking hole in the bottom. Yeah. I mean, you could you could emulate the same thing with two large textbooks. Right. Pressed exactly. together. Exactly. You could just smash Or them one and the bag on the counter. But any two flat, flat surfaces, surface, any flat yeah. surface, any hard, flat, rigid surface, you could press two of them together yep. and create the same thing. With this right and, in between. Yeah. And in fact... The major controversy for the company, according to Wikipedia, which this kind of just makes me laugh. um, The company attracted, and so this is a direct quote from Wikipedia. uh, The company attracted significant negative media attention when consumers and journalists discovered that its juice packets could be squeezed just as easily by hand as by the company's expensive machine, which to me belays the issue of like, what do you mean discovered? Right. like what at what point were people fooled by a bag of vegetables yeah into thinking like well that there's only one way to get them out of there we need a big fancy machine that talks to the internet that costs 699 dollars and as far as i can tell the only reason it talks to the internet is to validate that you're using their products in their machine and that it will only work i don't know this to be true but i suspect that it probably didn't even work if it couldn't connect to the internet i bet not which is just because the it wouldn't worst. be able to scan the QR code then. Right. Yeah. So it totally wouldn't work. Um, what's what's crazy to me too is that there's so much fucking packaging. Uh, like yeah. this chopped sweet greens package has apparently the contents apple, baby spinach, pineapple, kale, lemon. This package is like larger than a quart size Ziploc bag. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, it, it looks like an, uh, it looks like a glorified Capri sun package or something. Yes. It's like, it's kind of like not new. No. And the thing about it is that it's basically like you buy this machine in order to squirt your Capri suns into a glass for you. Yep. Like that's essentially what's going on here. Um, yeah, the fact that I just don't, I, I don't even know where to begin on so many levels. And of course this was a failure because no one like it's so myopic in design, right? Like there's so much of it that is a problem. Like yeah. you're, it's so obsessed. Like they tell uh, in this business insider article that they go through, it's really like really weird. Uh, there are tons and tons and tons of color photos that this business insider person art writer uh, included in this article. And they show that they had 12 different prototypes along the way. And 
I mean, what they came up with kind of reminds me a lot of the design of like a giant white soda stream, but this thing does something even less useful. Mm-hmm. And like you need a smartphone to use it. Like I we have we have abstracted the experience of having some juice so far. Like, guess what? Fruit comes in its own package. Uh-huh. And then you can just juice it, you smash it, or you, you, you don't even have to juice do that. it you right can in your own mouth. It. You can mm-hmm. just juice it right in your own mouth in a single step. Obtain fruit, bite and chew. Like, there you go. And this is so convoluted and causes so many impeding problems. Like I'm just blown away by this thing. And it's like a tortilla press. Yeah. And the thing about it is that, Oh, and what I was going to say, like what this supposedly this pro the, the problem this is supposedly solving, right? Yes. It's like, they say, they say it right here in the article. Here's what the Juicero looked like right after this guy inventor, Doug Evans or whatever, removed the bag. It was spotless. Not one drop of juice or shredded fruit anywhere. You don't even have to admit that you're a living thing interacting with nature. Right. You can totally flatten the experience of eating fresh fruit Uh into a mechanistic, unnecessarily complicated, internet dependent. Uh Uh-huh. So like in order to use this fucking $800 juice machine. Uh Uh-huh. You also have to buy a really expensive smartphone that can handle the app that lets you scan the QR code to make the juicer juice the juice. Right. I I find it amazing how many products pass off as being cheap when it's like, oh, no, 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 but you're leaning on my, you know, $50 a month cell phone right. bill, you know, that I pay for and my, you know, $700 cell phone or whatever the fuck, you know. Yeah. I mean, please don't pay that much for a cell phone, but I'm sure plenty of people oh, do. please don't. <laughs> um, anyway, it's it's just kind of... It's just nuts. And the thing about this product that I was thinking about, uh, one of the most myopic parts of it, I think, is just the idea that it's like... That somehow you're going to do... You're going to... Like, you looked at a bottle of juice in the grocery store. Yeah. And let's, you know, be generous and be like a a freshly squeezed one that has to be refrigerated, has no additives and, you know, is only going to last about a week or two. Yeah. Like maybe it's like flash pasteurized or something, but maybe not. Yeah. Like Um, eight days, right? Yeah. Something, you know, super short amount of time. You looked at this bottle of juice on the store shelves and you thought to yourself, I could do better than that. What I can do is get people fresh vegetables to their like, you know on their counter and then squeezed into a glass. And then you looked at how people do that and you decided, no, I can do better than that. I can still add all the packaging and the hubba lub and all the bullshit. Right. So that they can have the perception of this being a low impact on their lives for such a great return. Right. You're just pushing everything behind the curtain. Yeah. And and their video, which is worth watching because I think it's it's pretty hilarious. It's psychotic. Um, there's They have a video on YouTube uh, called Juicero, Making Juice is Easy. Um, and I'm going to just play one little quote from it, and hopefully this will work out. Uh, 
Here we go. What comes out of the Juicero is so fresh that it shouldn't even be called juice. It should just be called, I don't know, squashed produce, because that's what it is. So I feel like that quote in and of itself, directly from their video, just really, really fucking sells it, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's kind of... Yeah. It's like I, the it's like the worst parts of the internet of things. Yeah. Additive solutions, environmentally unsound packaging. Right. Um what's the uh what's the other word? Um shit. It's It's like when you own the um digital rights management digital yes. rights drm drm yes. digital rights management it's which is like this huge problem also and um it's, it's it, uh like what do they say about it's, it it's 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 it's, it's, it's a it's, set it's, of it's, access it's, control it's, technologies for restricting the use yeah. of proprietary hardware and copyrighted works mm-hmm. so they try to control the use modification and distribution of copyrighted works like um, music or software or multimedia content, as well as systems within devices that enforce the policies. So mm-hmm. like these people want you to be healthy, yeah. supposedly. That's they're, they're so magnanimous. They want to share health with you. They want to make sure you can be healthy too. Right. And it's super easy to do it. You just have to pay a hundred dollars, uh, like a dollar for every fucking 10 calories. Yes. 10 calories is a dollar. Uh-huh. You have to have a smartphone. Uh, you have to have the internet, mm-hmm. and like they have this disassembled. And juice. then, and then we're going to control all your rights to use the vegetables. All your rights to use the vegetables that yeah. come in these like hyper expensive packs, right? And like you know, I'm sure at any point in time could probably push some like software update that would just prevent you from using your own machine mm-hmm. for some reason. So, um, in 2017. It, it, slap me if i've already said this or you did or it was the target of widespread of criticism when bloomberg published a story saying that they could squeeze it by hand just as yes. easily yes and um it was indistinguishable from when it had been squeezed by, by the machine the so they're like what what's the fucking deal because like putting it in the machine doesn't enhance the experience like uh-huh. you literally do not need the machine for these juice packs right and so they took it apart and i'm looking at the breakdown of all of the disassembled parts spread out and explode in the exploded view. Uh-huh. This thing is so complicated. It looks like, you know, like internal combustion engine complicated. Uh-huh. Um, just super over engineered, but it was, it's all completely unnecessary complexity. Because it doesn't actually do anything. It does all of this design, all of this resource, all of this thinking, all of this math, all of this geometry, all of this engineering, all of this stuff. Oh my gosh, all of it's for nothing. For nothing. Right. And they were going to follow this sort of model, apparently, where they're going to produce these hyper expensive machines up front and just get enough people to buy in. And then those people's money that they're basically kind of sort of overpaying for this thing Uh will then finance more research and development to make better ways of making the machine that will bring down the cost of the machine for other people. Mm -hmm. So, like, you can reward your most loyal customers by overcharging them up front. Right. Yes. And using their 
personal expenditure to subsidize a cheaper machine with better design elements for other people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just <laughs> it's so contemptuous. <laughs> so contemptuous. This is like the best. This is like such a great example of why Silicon Valley is so fucked. And like these people raised $120 million in startup venture capital. Yes. This reminds me so much of Theranos. It's so, yes. Like people who understand biological science looked at that stupid Theranos machine and were like, well, there's literally no way that this could possibly work. Right. And it's like, no, no, this like um, cleverly disguised fucking desktop printer is really a blood sampling machine that's going to tell you everything you need to know and solve like six different theses like we don't like needles also you should be in charge of your own health care also you should be able to interpret your results which you can't do now also you should be able to operate your own tests and order them and not have to go through a doctor also like i I don't want anyone's uncle to die Uh it's like what this is manic and uh scattered mm-hmm. and no machine could do all of these things and could you just pick a reason like everything about it was just so dubious and i think this is too like you just look at all of these things and you're like but i don't understand why you think this is a good idea like there's nothing about any of this is a good idea mm-hmm. no shred of this juicero no shred of this project is redeemable right right no, and this I'm you know looking at some of the um, some of the teardown articles and looking at how the machine was actually made um, really also is a good list of ways in which it was myopic. So, like from an architecture design, so you have to consider like you're building a machine for consumer purchase right yeah so it is a little bit of a race to like make things affordable and keep things like keep your manufacturing in in a reasonable range of cost for development and 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 putting it out there so the the machine itself included some of these things so it had a large aluminum frame that provides the core structure so there, right in and of itself you've created this like pretty expensive resource for what you're trying to create as a consumer product um i'm not necessarily advocating like this goes both ways right like Mm -hmm. on the one hand it's like i'd love if products were built more strongly and lasted longer and were repairable and had parts that were like you know yeah worth holding on to yep um like a large aluminum frame for structural rigidity or whatever Mm -hmm. but that's that doesn't make it a good decision in the realm of like you're trying to make a product that people are going to buy and you can sustain selling it and make money correct you know i'm not saying those are good values those just are the values um so the the machine also contained 10 custom injection molded parts which is a huge number because you have to have created those injection molds which for a machine that is your first iteration using injection molded parts is like pretty using injection custom injection molded parts Mm -hmm. is a little bit insane because you're the way that they become cheap is that you make millions of them and so suddenly the cost of the development of the mold is like it it cancels out or it washes out. out but you can spend lots of money on each mold in fact 
like, you know, tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the complexity mm-hmm. of the part. I'm guessing that's not necessarily what these were, but you know, a significant number of that hundred and twenty thousand dollars probably went into just fucking dealing with injection molding. Well, parts. they had twelve prototypes. Yeah. So I mean, they had to have spent. Oh yeah. Gazillions of dollars just getting one of these things to the point where all it did was like look pretty while you smash a thing between two solid surfaces. Yes. Yeah. Um. It had uh. It, it had a it had a part a solenoid just to keep the door latched but not structurally closed just to keep it latched oh my gosh it wasn't like this is the thing that keeps it closed right. or is the latch it was just to keep the latch latched anyway wow um can you tell people what a solenoid is really quick yeah a solenoid is a um it's a push rod typically like it's a it's if you were if you ever did physics in high school you probably made an electromagnet where you had a nail and you wrapped a wire around it and you hooked a battery up to it like that's essentially a solenoid Mm -hmm. the difference is that it it that coil activates throws the nail out of the loops right and so Mm -hmm. that's a solenoid so it's just a little like but it's it's an expensive it's a relatively expensive part like solenoids are you know, have lots of parts to them. So it's to a thing that holds a thing shut. It's a thing that holds a thing shut. Yeah. yeah. Magnetically. Electromagnetically. Um, it, it had your juice machine has electromagnets. It had, it had custom dowel pins. And so dowel pins are probably are metal plastic or wood, probably metal in this context, but maybe plastic. Mm-hmm. Um, dowel pins are very common in lots of, uh, lots of, physical objects um and they're usually used for like alignment right like it's a pin so like if two plates come together and there's a hole that fits the pin on each plate then those plates will always be aligned at that pin yep and so two pins is all you really need to like line up a plate with another plate and keep it in place um so having custom dowel pins is like having custom anything at this point is a little bit silly when lots of these things are available over like you know in in mass yeah um because they're used in in industry development all over the world and you know and so the idea of like having custom ones like how did you design yourself into the corner where you had to do that um so uh anyway i my point is like this myopathy of like like what I was getting you at was that hyper focused on an issue and an element of the design that has nothing to do with actually serving. Yeah. And, and I imagine like, I imagine what's happening here is that there was like, you know, some engineers who were assigned to do this task and were given a lot of lateral, lateral movement or, or lateral, you know, what is it? Lateral decisions. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they were given a lot of uh, freedom to kind of design it the way that they thought it should be designed, I'm guessing, um, because it's a really, when you think about the idea that it's like two books smashed together is what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. This thing is incredibly over-designed right. with lots of complicated parts that really don't make that much sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's the, it's like the classic, 
example of somebody overdoing it wrong. Yeah, like like the aluminum frame is this like incredibly complex engine like engineered part that has a huge amount of um machining work that needs to be done on it in order for it to f- to meet the requirements of the design. Um there's just it looks like there's possibly like some custom gears maybe. I I'm not sure. It there's a whole drivetrain yeah. just to move a big screw. Yeah. Um yeah, it's it's really so over-engineered. Just so just if you tried to get as many calories as you would need to survive uh-huh. using this thing, it would cost you like $200 a day. $200 a day to buy the calories you need to live yeah, if you're living off of Juicero. I find this fucking inexcusable considering that uh, the CEO who took over uh-huh. Juicero after the inventor and like initial CEO left or was kicked out or whatever Uh fucking uh banished to the wilderness for his terrible ideas so a note from juicero's new ceo says hi i'm jeff dunn you may not know me in my new role as ceo of juicero and i've only been here since november but i've been involved with the company for the last few years as an active investor and board member working closely with doug evans our founder my career has led me from Coca-Cola to Bolt House Farms and Campbell Fresh, blah, 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 blah. This leads me to connect my work to my personal mission and passion, solving some of our nation's nutrition and obesity challenges. I'm very proud of what my teams and I have accomplished in the last 10 years, especially in regard to positively shifting the dialogue about our food system and how it can better serve all of us in health, nutrition, and sustainability. What about 200 fucking dollars a day? For proprietary juice packs, uh, do you think wait. is better for everybody in terms of health, nutrition, and especially sustainability? So, you fucking liar. I'm so glad this company went out of business. Okay. And so we're saying like 80, 80 calories a pack. 80 calories a pack, $7, 2,000 calories a day. So you would need... 25 packs 25 to 28 juice packs a day a to day. meet your 2000 calories a and day. they're seven dollars a piece and they're seven dollars a piece so 25 so every if you were just living off juicero calorie wise and trying to survive which you could not do because you would lack amino acids and you would die eventually but yeah. go on you would you would need to throw away 25 to 25 thick plastic basically IV bags, non-recyclable, non-recyclable engineered plastic product full of rotting food material. Yeah. Full of rotting food material. You'd have to throw away that would release methane into the atmosphere as it decomposes. Yeah. This is like, yeah. Juicero's mission is to make it dramatically easier and more enjoyable to consume fresh raw fruits and vegetables. And that's a really tough nut to crack. Yeah. So this is everything that's wrong with the world. <laughs> this is everything. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. I don't know what where Oh, this is loaded. The yeah. value of Juicero is more than a glass of cold pressed juice. Much more. The value is in how easy it is for a frazzled dad to do something good for himself while getting the kids ready for school 
without having to prep ingredients and clean a juicer or, you know, be a fucking human parent. Oh, God damn it. Oh, wow. This is, uh, you know, and then conspicuously in the next paragraph, the CEO says it's in how the busy professional who needs more greens in her life uh-huh. gets app reminders to press produce packs before they expire so she doesn't waste the hard-earned money she spent on them. Oh, God damn it. Like, you're so separated from the existence of being a human and having to feed yourself that you need an expensive reminder to tell you, hey, dummy, put in some calories. Yeah. Go press the button. Man, this is rough. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, this totally is everything wrong with Silicon Valley. Yeah. So they're out of business now. They no longer exist. Right. Um, Right. (laughs) For yeah. obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. They started telling people, like, apparently after ha- after they halved the cost of their machine, uh-huh. um, people were like, hey, what the fuck? And they're like, listen, if you don't love your machine, send it back and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll buy it back from you, essentially. We'll give you all your money back. And that's what people did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yep. Wow. So that's that. Uh-huh. Brilliant. Um I mean at what point like I'm I'm less embarrassed for the inventor and the guy who like, you know, kind of put this forward. I'm more embarrassed for all of the people around him. Mhm. Like I, I I have plenty of dumb ideas. Plenty of them. <laughs> Like yeah. I don't have but judgment. But you're not trying to charge seven hundred and ninety nine dollars. Well, but that's for my them. point. Like it's like, even if I was, I, like it's not the nature of like what I'm doing with my bad ideas. It's more the matter of like who the fuck is facilitating them. Well, it's this past. I mean, for there to be like twelve prototypes and one hundred twenty million in investments, a lot of people had to be involved in this. This yeah. one of the articles said that there were seventy permanent employees in their giant ass factory in San Francisco, where the real estate is like the most expensive anywhere. Right. So it's like, I mean, a lot of people had to be involved in this, in a at a lot of different tiers, and yet yeah. somehow this passed the editorial process. Yes. Like. Whew. I this is a this is an admonishment to people who are like obsessed with the concept of job creators. Mm-hmm. Uh, those 70 people had jobs and mm-hmm. look where it got them. Right. Like, you know, it's yeah. not just about the jobs creation, being obsessed with jobs creation is also myopic. Right. Right. It's not it, Yeah. Well, I don't I I mean I don't even know where to begin on that. Uh, I know. It's a problem. It's all a problem. Um, I think it. I think it's pretty interesting. This particular, mm-hmm. this particular view into a failed product. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure products fail for all kinds of reasons. Uh, and I think for you and I, when we talk about like myopic design there's probably plenty of very successful products that also feature what we would consider myopic design. Um, yeah. I don't think that the benchmark necessarily has to be or the sort of 
the bar is not set at whether it was like successful as a product. Sure. Um, I think it's much more an issue of like, you know, in many ways, Juicero was incredibly successful at being a hilariously bad, de- bad design mm-hmm. and a um, bad investment and a bad out. investment turns out. Yeah. Um, they're great at marketing and terrible at everything else. I'm, I'm just trying to like kind of work through the business model, I guess is what I was getting at. Like the, so their business model is that they're going to take fruits and vegetables, raw yep. fruits and vegetables. They're going to process them. They're going to do all the prep work for you. All the washing and prep work, right? And basically prepare it so you have these ready-to-juice packs. And then they have a proprietary juicing device mm-hmm. that juices these packs yep. for you yep. in single servings. Yep. And they're that was their business model was that they're going to add all of this. The value add is that you take some raw material, like say strawberries Mm -hmm. and you get them at wholesale and then you distribute them in little baggies to your customers Mm -hmm. who they're the only ones that can use them. Now, once you put them in the bag, they're locked away and can only be released by the magic machine that costs people $400. Or $7.99 if you're an early adopter and got punished for it. Yes, right. Or $800, essentially. Um, well, $7.99 because it's not $800. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and I just love succeeding on a technicality, don't you? Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely right. It's not a D if it's a C-. minus. That's right. <laughs> Go see squad. <laughs> These people are definitely on the C squad. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it's not, it, it's just like, so your business model is, is this thing that's like, and then, you, <laughs> so then your idea is no one's going to see through it. And they're going to be like, oh, you've hidden away the magic juice inside these bags. And the only way to get it out of there is with this special machine. Yep. Because you've put all the DRM you can on the bag. Yep. So that you can't activate the bag without the machine. Right. And there's all kinds of laws around, like, if you get caught circumventing DRM. So you could get arrested over your fucking juice machine. Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For squeezing your fucking bag. by hand by hand to get the food out you can't do that this is this is like we're we're going right into designing dystopia territory right here yes we are juicero and designing dystopia are like hand mm, in hand hand in hand that is exactly you have misused your bag (laughs) we are here to arrest you right no, it's worse. You get a cease and desist letter from Juicero. Yep. If you don't stop squeezing our bags with your hands. Right. We've noticed. We know how many. You you have a machine and we know how many times you squeezed a bag and we notice that you have 10 bags. Yep. And you've only squeezed five in the machine. Right. Now, what's We're going on? We're pretty sure. Yep. We, we took the liberty of investigating your trash. Yes. At curbside, and we found no fewer than 10 bags, only five of which were pancaked, and the rest were squeezed in an irregular pattern. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Notice these circular or like spiral cre- creases uh-huh. indicating that they were wrung out by human hands. <laughs> right. 
Oh, man. How did they not just like... I don't know. I I think like you want to solve a problem like that, like you just create single serve smoothie packs or something that yeah. go in your freezer. Like, why do you need to sell them a machine in the first place? Yeah. If your whole goal is to sell a packet of things, yeah. Why? I guess I, I don't know. I guess if you control the machine and the package, you control the like you're creating a mini monopoly, right? You're trying to create a monopoly within your product design. Yeah, the vertical. Yeah. Marketing. Yeah. Make a thing that only our other thing can unlock right. the potential of the first thing and then make people have access to that first thing only through a subscription service so you can control how and when they get it. Right. And like control the fucking production flow. Yeah. Yeah. It's so insidious. Yeah. Um, I now would like to get one of these juicers and like blow it up or something. Set it on fire. Set it on fire. Yeah. Could use a boring company flamethrower to burn it down. That sounds good. Yeah. I'd be up for that. Take some, uh, take some obscene Silicon Valley tech from one end. Uh-huh. Point it at the other. Yep. Yep. I like this. Yeah. It's like a battle to the death of obsolete Silicon Valley toys. Uh-huh. Exactly. Who will win? Who will win indeed? I think we'll all lose in the end. I would like to strap one of these juicers to the front end of an Uber. Uh huh. <laughs> and then strap the flamethrower to the hood of a lift. Of a lift. <laughs> and then I would like a referee on a scooter. Uh huh. And a I segue. Would, <laughs> a segue. And I would like them to all drive at top speed to a single point. I want, I want, co-located uh, at the center. I want like those like sideline staff all on hoverboards. Mm, nice. And they have to like roll out every once in a while and like clean up the bits and pieces. Yeah. And then for like resetting for the round, like yeah. after there's a collision. I want to see people blindfolded on one wheels. Yes. Doing some of these things. <laughs> And like the flamethrower has to fire randomly. Like it can't just be on all the time. No, it just goes randomly. Yeah. Yep. And um, there are rules. There's rules here. Damn it. Yeah. Not barbarians. Right. <laughs> Have some panache. Right. <laughs> so yeah, if you have. Um, I always thought panache sounds like some like hoity-toity like English dessert. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll try the panache. Thank you. Yeah, I'll have some panache. panache. Thank you very much. Yeah. Yeah. The figgy panache. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Are you guys getting into the panache already? Uh You guys broken into the panache. (laughs) I think somebody stole our panache. Uh, Yeah, so that's... uh, Yeah. That's the dispatch from the world of disappointment. From the world of disappointment. Yes. (laughs) Nice. Um, so we regrettably were unable to share colors of the day last week because our research team was troubleshooting some fires and stuff. Uh, yeah. Uh, interestingly, there was a uh, certificate error. And if you're a tech person, you probably were following that today was when um, the 
old uh, certificate, root certificate for uh, let's encrypt expired today. And so it caused some some issues with our some of our color color distribution programs. Yeah. Um, anyway, but the research department was able to bring some colors. Problem solved. Problem solved. So um, we have two mm. lovely colors of the day. Uh, if this is your first podcast uh, and you listened all the way to this point, welcome to Feature Creep and uh we sorry we would yeah we'd love to hear from you um i'm ned and this is my co-host meg and we uh have an email address or we have an executive assistant that handles most of our communication stuff but if you email dana d-a-n-a at fcpm.io um she will get your questions or your comments uh handled and she'll probably get back to you um or one of us will get back to you uh pretty quickly um yeah, so and we'd love to hear from you. We we know there are people out there listening and uh we can sort of see it in the sort of episode tracking. Um not that we have a huge amount of tracking, mostly we just have numbers of people. So, um yeah. Uh in fact, if you want to get the least amount of tracking, you can get our feed directly from our website fcbm.io. Yeah, you don't um, have to be tracked at all. Yeah, and then you don't have to use um so Full disclosure, we currently use Google Analytics for the website, although I don't have any of the like the crazy like marketing stuff turned on. It's just kind of tells us that unique visitors showed up. But once you're scraping that once you're, you know, using the XML feed directly in your player, you you won't we don't have any way of tracking that other than I have a counter that lets me know how many times an episode was downloaded. Um, but not by who or any any fun stuff like that. So um because that shit's creepy and unethical. Super and we don't creepy. Care. Yeah, we don't really care. Because we fact, don't want your money. Yeah, we'd much rather hear from you directly um, with what you have to say. So uh, that was a weird ramble. Okay, so the color <laughs> colors of the day. When is that not accurate for our yes for our conversation? Right. Well, what is our tagline again? If uh, sometimes you just want to listen to two people get off topic as quickly as possible. Where's this bus going? Uh, Great. I'd like to get off of it as soon as possible. <laughs> oh. But man. you just got on. Yes. Yes. I need to leave immediately. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, okay. Colors of the day. So we've got uh, usually, and as always, we have two, uh, two colors today. We've got disreputable paganism. And this is a sort of tomato red, brick red. Mm, it's very brickish. It's very yeah. brickish. Yeah. I had a pair of corduroys as a kid that was this color. Oh, and fun. I grew up like wearing clothes from the 70s. So I don't know if that helps. It's like a, it'd be a, like a color that fits right in in a sepia tone photograph. Yes. Yeah. And so um, to visualize this color, uh, you can put this uh hexadecimal value directly into oh, did Google. we see the name of it yet yeah disreputable oh. paganism sorry i, I didn't no, no problem yep uh so you want to put in pound sign nine alpha three zero two beta or bravo once again you're going to just put right into google uh pound sign nine alpha three zero two bravo that's nine a three zero two b uh that'll bring up this color you'll see what we see um the RGB values, some people I think can visualize a little bit better with RGB values if you're just listening. Uh, the RGB values are 154, 48, 43. So that's like red 154, 
green 48 blue 43 so yeah. um so lots of red and a little bit of green and blue probably just in balance just to kind of so you can just kind of imagine it's just kind tone of tone it bit, down a little yeah it's just toned down a little bit um so the supporting color for this color is surface assim- assimilative britishism <laughs> assimilative assimilative surface assimilative britishism yeah uh, this is like a robin egg blue. Yeah. It's like, um, uh, it, this is like a very pastel teal color. Yeah. Like it's really, yes. really washed out. Yeah. It's really washed out. Um, so this, uh, the hexadecimal value is uh, pound sign six, five, Charlie Foxtrot, Foxtrot Delta, Delta four. four. So that's pound sign six, five CFD four. And the RGB values are 101, 207, 212. Great job. Yeah. Great job, research team. Way to troubleshoot and fix the problem and bring us beautiful colors. Yes. Twice as many. Twice as many. As other people do in a single year. We just did it in one one night. In one night. Like, you like might be no saying, ah, oh, no, but see, they did two this year mm. or last year. Right. But that was after us. We do too every day. All that the was time. after our podcast episode complaining about the fact that they did one color yeah. and expected people to appreciate a color by itself. Yeah, as if that's like a monumental struggle yes. to produce a single color that everyone right. has to start using. Yes. Um, Whereas doing, two, yeah, different story. Entirely different story. Entirely. Plus, we do it like all the time. All the time. Every week we produce a color of that we have color of the day, right. except for last week. So after our campaign of intimidation, fear, and pressure, yes, they, they those other the people are trying to trying to trying to catch, catch up. up. They think they can add one more color and somehow catch up with us. Yeah. I don't know. They're never going to catch up. Nope. <laughs> 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 all right. Well, that's. Uh, I think that's all I got to share. I think so too. That was great. Yeah, I feel like. I've said everything. Do we we did the plug? We should do that. We should try to do the plug more at the beginning. Like, yeah, you know. we say that every time. I know. And it's then just we never a, remember because it's the last thing we say. It is the last. And thing then we say. it's fresh in our mind, and then we record another podcast, and we're like, we, "Oh well, I already said that. I don't have to repeat myself." But it right. was from like a week ago. Yep. Yep. In in terms of our future selves. Yes. Yeah. Right now, now it's now now like thirty seconds ago. Right. Right. Yeah. So I that love that confusing. scene from. Um, Spaceballs when they're staring at the video and he's like when is this it's now 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 like they're looking at the video of the movie i've never seen the whole movie Whoa. i know well, i love the giant helmet though uh, it's so good i love the giant helmet and i think there are some genuinely funny parts of that movie although I can't remember any of them. I mean, I never saw it as a kid. I saw it recently in bits and pieces as an adult. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the mystique and allure was like not there. It had evaporated because I'm an adult now. So this is like, but some of it was great. Yeah. I mean, that giant helmet is to to die for. Yeah. It's definitely, that movie is, um, it has a place in my heart as like a, a sort of teenage boy with fart jokes. Oh God, just I'm pouring sure. out of me all the time. I'm sure it's a classic. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well. Anyway. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Bye. everybody.